What is happening, security gang? And welcome to another episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. I'm going to update that background to grain, y'all. All right, so happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to an exciting episode. Uh, it's our Friday conversation episode. It's a special one for me because I love this guy. I really do. Like the next guest is the reason I hire smart people. If you guys don't know who Jason Dion is, you're about to find out on today's show because Jason Dion is the man that's going to be breaking everything down for us. So without further ado, y'all, it's Friday conversation time. Let's get it going. From the Cyber Hub Bunker in studio, you're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. So I already told everyone I love you, Jason. So you can't <laughs> let anyone down, brother. How's it going? I'll, I'll try my best, James. Hey, thanks for having me here on the uh, Cyber Hub Podcast, man. It's great to have you here, man. I'm so excited. I know you're back from, from, from lots of traveling, lots of downtime. You're ready to step it up. Those who don't know who Jason Dion is, the very few that are watching, to give them a little background about how many people you've helped lead into IT and InfoSec careers over your lifetime. Yeah, so um, if we just go back the last six and a half years, I started a company called Dion Training. I'm the founder of that, and I've helped with that company over a million students at this point in 190 countries, uh, earn their certifications, get into jobs, and get placed into careers in the cybersecurity industry. So um, that's just over the last you know six and a half years. And before that, I I was helping people uh, before that in college settings, in boot camp settings, uh, you know, on the job in, in the DoD and DoD contracting world and things like that. But but yeah, just the last uh, seven years or so since I've been in business, it's it's been a million people. So it's uh it's gone pretty fast and, and faster than I was expecting. Uh, so a lot of people know my name apparently now. <laughs> <laughs> well, they know your name and rightfully so, right? Because there's you know, in it as as a practitioner, right? You're constantly looking to see who influences the people you hire. Who do they yep. go to when you know it's it's for for me? I always had to deal with network, right? With IT and networking. Tell me every when people are working on a project, I want to know every YouTube video they go to see. Yep. <laughs> right. And it was always Dion. Dion's videos were always up there, right? Whether wherever they were going, it was always it was always there. So it's it's great to have you here with me this Friday morning. And I'm really excited about this one because I feel like, you know, we constantly talk about breaking into security, right? And we constantly talk about breaking into IT and you know, training for the job. And and there's a lot of different opinions about it. I'd love to hear yours when it comes to kind of what inspired you to start the journey of teaching others. And then what do you really think matters the most from, from what they get out of it? Yeah. So, you know, I've always thought about it this way, right? When it comes down to a certification or a degree or whatever that credential is you're working towards, right? It's only as valuable as the employer valuing that thing. And what I mean by that is I can create a certification tomorrow called Jason's IT Cybersecurity Wonderness Certification, right? But if nobody is asking for that on a job application or a job description, then you're wasting your time and money going for that certification because nobody cares, right? To be quite honest. Um, now, that being said, you can go to that class for that and you can learn great things and you're going to be able to get a lot of information that's going to help you on the job. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to break in and get through the ATS filters, the applicant tracking system, there are keywords in the job post that you need to have. And if they say must have Pentest Plus, must have CompTIA Security Plus, then you better have those things. Because if it's not on your resume, no person is going to actually read your resume. It's going to go through the system and you're going to get filtered out before it ever gets to a person who's a hiring manager to make the decision. So, so that's how I look at these things. And when I talk to students, people say, hey, what about this cert or what about that cert? And I say, 
Well, in your area, look at where you are. If you're in India, what are the Indian employers asking for? If you're in America, what is the American employers asking for? And it is different depending on where you live. Um, I teach project management as well. And in project management, it's very clearly defined. If you're in the US or Canada, you really need your PMP, your, your project management professional. But if you're working in London or you're working in Europe, they don't care as much about PMP. They care more about PRINCE2, which is a competing certification. And so knowing that and knowing what employer you're going for is really critical when you decide what you want to learn and what you want to go for in your career. So people who watch the show here and historically over the five, five and a half years I've done this show know I'm not a big cert guy. And in fact, if you look at any role where I was a leader as a CISO, my biggest battle with HR before posting jobs was I didn't want any certs and I didn't want any college degree requirements because I felt like those sometimes take away good applicants and good candidates from the job because, like you said, they don't make it through the ATS. If I put, if I require you to even have a, you know, a security plus yep. type of cert and you don't have it for whatever reason, right? Because I, I, I have a different theory. I've got, I've got, I have a theory which you know we can debate at some point or another, but that some people do very well in studying and perform very poorly at testing. And so sometimes tests, you know, people have the knowledge, but they don't go for the test because they don't test well. Something happens, right? It's kind of like LeBron James in the finals. You know, he never, he, he flops more than he succeeds, right? Kind of deal. Shot at LeBron James there, uh, <laughs> right? But some people just don't do well at testing. How do you counter that? point how do, how, do, how do you counter the testing point yeah i mean so testing so i completely agree with you right there's not everybody is a great test taker i'm a really good test taker so i can go if you told me tomorrow that i need to go take any certification i can probably study for the next you know six to eight hours get enough information and be able to pass that exam uh, wow. with very few exceptions I, i've always been really really good at test taking and be able to read through the the test answers and even be able to play their test against themselves because if you start learning the way tests are written it's it's pretty easy to figure out what is the distractors what's the right answers and what are obviously the wrong answers uh, but that all being said is you know the reason that these tests and these certifications are so popular and you know if you go back 25 years ago before you know 1993 for instance that's when the first a plus came out certifications weren't really a big deal, right? Uh, if you were going to become a plumber or a welder, you would go and become an apprentice. You'd work under somebody who was qualified. You would do that for a year or two. And they'd say, yep, James is smart enough. He can now go run his own plumbing business because he knows what he's doing. He's worked under me for the last two years. We've never taken that approach in IT. And so instead, what came up was these certifications, which were supposed to be a way that uh, basically the easy button for employers to go, yes, this person has this minimum level of skill and they can pass this exam. Now, does that mean they could do their job? No, of course not, right? It just means they can pass an ABCD questions. Uh, but, you know, I have a lot of students who get upset that, you know, they're like, hey, I've got 15 years in the field and nobody will even hire me anymore because I don't have a security plus. And my answer to them is, well, stop being stubborn and go get your security plus then. Duh. Um, because right now it is a different world than it was 15 years ago. 15 years ago, I could go in and get a job anywhere without any certifications because I had enough experience or I had enough connections and somebody could pull me into that process. But when you're trying to compete for a job that, you know, you know, you said you don't like to list uh, certifications on your job postings, most HR people and most hiring managers do. And the reason they right. do is because it's an easy button. Um, right now, because of the way that everything is set up, if I post a job and I'm a small company, I get between 100 and 1,000 people applying for that job. I have to do something to narrow that down to save my time. Because if I spent five minutes reading everybody's resume, that's 5,000 minutes. Um, that's like, you know, multiple weeks of time for me just to be able to read those resumes to decide who I'm even going to interview. 
And I just don't have that time, right? And most hiring folks don't. And so we have to use things like a degree, like a certification, like must have at least two years job experience in this role. And by using those keywords, the computer will then filter out and give me, okay, here's 10 people you should look at, or here's 20 people you should look at. And I can then look at their resumes. And within a minute or two, I decide, okay, here's the three to five that I'm actually going to spend time interviewing. And so listen to those numbers, right? A hundred to a thousand down to something like 10 to 20 that will actually get looked at by a human to the three to five people I'm actually going to interview. And then one of those people is going to get the job, right? That's the kind of odds people are facing. And so there's a lot of people who say, I don't need a cert. Well, maybe you don't, but honestly, you're going to have a much harder time because so many of these large companies and even small companies now are using these AI and ML-based systems to do the hiring funneling process because you're, there's just no other way. You're absolutely right. A hundred percent right. And, and that is one of the challenges my HR always pushes back on me. on. They go, when you don't put these requirements in, we get a lot of garbage. We've got to sift through. And I go, true. But then you find gems sometimes. Yep. Sifting through, and, a lot and of you're right, you do right. But you know, it, it may take you a thousand people to go through to find that one gem. No, no, I agree. Whereas for me, I'm going from ten to hopefully find no. somebody who's good enough. They may not be a diamond, but maybe they're a ruby, right? <laughs> no, I, I agree with you again, and and I think we're we're. I, I don't like here. Here's what I would say. I would say that you're absolutely correct, and your logic makes a hundred percent sense. Yep. Can't dispute that logic, right? What I can say though, for from my personal experience, and something that I thoroughly kind of very much look at when I'm hiring people and people can go look at every job posting I've ever posted as a CISO for any company I've worked with. And they'll see that I'll put degree preferred yep. or not required. Uh, equivalent work experience is fine. Um, I make a very detailed job description in my keywords in the ATS is stuff around the job description and not in the requirements. Right. We, we do a very similar thing. Right. And we always tell our students, you know, if you see a job, it's a wish list, right? When an employer goes and says, here is my, my one page or two page job description, it's going to have all the different things we want. And we might say, you know, must have this, should have this, re requested you have this or whatever desired. Um, degrees are one that I personally don't care if you have a degree or not. That doesn't affect me in my business. I just care if you can do the job. Um, okay. Certs in my business, we do care about, but that's because if I'm hiring somebody to be a student support analyst um, and they're going to be supporting people who took their A plus, net plus, and security plus, well, you probably should have your A plus, net plus, and security plus. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard for you to help somebody going through that, right? So in some right. jobs, it's important. Um, when I was hiring as a IT director or a SOC director, to me, I had to have people with certs because we were working in a government institution under the DOD. Right. And in the DOD, it was a requirement. It's written yeah. in the law. For us to be able to hire you, you must have Security Plus for 70% of the jobs. You must have CISSP. Or you got to have a bachelor's degree, right? Like the FBI requires a bachelor's. Yes. Um, CIA requires – like yeah. you and I come from a DOD background. So, yeah, I mean – And one of the things that really frustrated me in the DOD was when I was working with the DOD is I have a master's in cybersecurity and information assurance. That was not considered good enough because I had to go have a Security Plus, which, again, I could pass tomorrow. Um but if I didn't have Security Plus, within six months of getting hired for that job, I would get fired. Even though I could write that book for Security Plus, I could teach that Security Plus stuff. If I don't have the and cert, you've done it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter, right? So what do I do? I go and I take the exam. You know, I read the textbook. I skim through it for a day. I take a couple practice exams. I take the exam and boom, there we go. I'm certified. Now I can move on. And same thing with my CISSP. I passed it in 2009. I'm never going to take that exam again. But I make sure my continuing education is always up to date because some contract out there might say, 
JSON, you need to have a CISSP. So I always have it just in case. So and it's just to check that box, right? Even though it doesn't make me a better technician, doesn't make me a better analyst, it's just checking a box. Speaking of better technicians and better analysts, you've decided to step up and add your own level of certification to the already highly certified process, right? Tell yes. us a little bit about your desire, what's different. Yeah, know. exactly. So, you know, um, we approach the certifications a little bit differently than a lot of other companies. Uh, I've been in the certification business for uh, in and around it for 25 years. I got my first certification in 1999. So that's 24 years ago as the time of us talking. Wow. Uh, so I've been around this for a while and I've got probably over 100 certifications because everything I've taught, I've had to have a certification for. And one of the things I found is that some certifications are really good and they're really practical and hands-on. Other certifications are very knowledge-based and a lot of them are people who can just study and pass, but then they come to work on Monday and they don't know what they're doing. And so as we've decided to enter into the certification space and we're not making the uh, Jason certified awesome professional, right? That's not what we're doing. Uh, we, we, we work with- uh, I, mean, I just Googled it. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, man, it's not there. Uh, yeah, so what we are doing is uh, I'm working with a company that we created called Accolade. Uh, and we'll have that in the show notes, obviously. Accolade.com is our website. Uh, our first certification is going into beta uh, next week, actually. So we're looking for beta testers for that. Um, and then we're moving into full production scale uh, in July for that first certification. And what we've done is we've actually worked not just with us creating what we think would be a good thing for people to know, but we worked with hiring managers. And we said, okay, when you're hiring a cybersecurity analyst, when you're hiring a cybersecurity auditor, what are the things that are are not being done on the job that you're struggling with? What can we help you verify so that you can know that when you're getting somebody who has this certification, they have a certain skill set that you need? And the big one that kept coming up over and over again was people don't know how to do proper NIST cybersecurity framework implementation. The NIST cybersecurity framework is an awesome tool. It's used all over the world by lots of different companies. Version two is about to come out next year. They're currently in the drafting process of that. The current version is version 1.1. And so what we did was we have a two level certification. There's a fundamentals level and a practitioner level. At the fundamentals level, you're looking at ABCD questions, very focused on, do you know the framework? If you've read all the PDFs and you've studied the framework and you can speak it and you can understand the language, uh, that is really the fundamentals exam. The second level is the practitioner exam. This is called the Certified Cyber Resilience Practitioner. In this one, everything you're getting is a case study. And so it's a 30-question exam in 90 minutes. And during that exam, you're going to get essentially half a page of reading. And you're going to be reading about, you know, there's this online bank and they have this problem and these issues and this kind of thing's going on. Now, you're putting you in the shoes of being the practitioner there, giving the advice and recommendation as a consultant. What would you tell them to do? And then there's going to be A, B, C, and D, and you choose the right answer based on that. These are not your typical A, B, C, D, you know, what port is uh, 443, oh, that's HTTPS, nothing like that. I mean, this is really, really in-depth case studies to make sure that you understand what does this look like in the real world and how you would apply it in the real world. Because one of the great things about the NIST cybersecurity framework is it's a great open source framework, but they don't really tell you exactly how to implement it. Um, whereas, you know, those who have become good consultants in this field, they have figured out a good repeatable process to implement this across organizations as they're working as an auditor, as they're working as an analyst, as they're working as a consultant. And so we've worked with those companies to develop the textbooks for this and the content for this that we're now testing towards. And we've working with the different hiring managers across the cybersecurity industry to make sure they see this, they understand what it is, that they had buy-in in the development of it so that they actually helped us decide what were the tasks that we need to certify people to to make sure that there's going to be value added on the other side. Uh, I'm never one who's going to say, come take my certification because I want your money. Um, I want to get you a certification that's going to help you land a job and help employers be able to hire the right people much more quickly. 
And the idea with that is that we don't want to have something like CISSP where it takes you six months of studying to pass it. We want something that you can study in a week or two, get the information you need, get something actionable, and then go into a job doing that thing. And that's how we've built this certification uh, around this whole idea of cyber resilience. I love the idea of a cyber resilience one. And I love the difference in what you're doing between kind of a knowledge-based one and a practitioner side one. And I feel like that's constantly missing, right? You look at the CISSP and the CISSP is very knowledge-based, right? It's saying, I have all this knowledge. Yeah. Um, and, and, but very few, I mean, even if you look at security plus or, or, or some, even the more basic ones are predominantly knowledge-based saying, I know how to do the basic. It doesn't make you really yep. a red teamer. Right. Oh, exactly. Um, I mean, if you take security plus, there's usually three to five questions at the beginning that they call the performance-based questions, PBQs or simulations. And you go in and you do something like configure a firewall or, you know, click on some things and do some things. But then the other 85 questions are all multiple choice and they're all one to two sentences. And it's, you know, um, you know, what port is this? What is this? What is TACUS? What is radius? It's a lot of knowledge-based stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you have that knowledge, but can you actually do anything useful with that knowledge on the job? And generally with Security Plus, the answer is no. You've got a lot of knowledge, but you haven't got a provenable skill in doing something, right? And that's, I think, one of the differences between like CEH and OSCP. CEH is very knowledge-based hacking, and you go to OSCP, and it's you are going to go do a hack for 24 hours and then tell them what you found. And if you found enough, then you, you get certified. And we're taking kind of a, a middle road approach between those uh, because what we're doing is very, um, especially in this first cert, it is not going to be simulation-based because... We don't need you to go onto a system and run an MAP scan. That's not what we're trying to certify you to. We're trying to make sure you can run a team that's doing these, these analyses. We want to make sure you can run a team that can do the audits and those kind of consultations that you get brought into um, for small, medium, and large-sized businesses. Uh, and, and I appreciate that. I can. I definitely hope more people look at what you guys are doing and do more of that, right? Because ideally what you want as an employer, ideally what you want as a leader, right? Is you want people with hands-on experience and we don't mind teaching people to get the hands-on experience. Like I'm never one to shy away from hiring someone who doesn't have a lot of keyboard experience or if if they've got the potential, if they've got the curiosity, if they've got the upside, if they have the motivation, those are the kind of people you look for, right? Because skills you can teach those things you can, those are kind of very, very, very unique, uh, to each every to each and every individual, but but I like the idea of this being kind of a a, a two like I have the knowledge, but I may not know how to implement it per se. But I can definitely be a assessment type of person for you. Whereas if someone's a practitioner who goes, well, I have the knowledge, but I also know how to go fix it. And so, do you see this as being kind of like a two stage? certification process. Exactly. That's the way that we've designed all of our certifications that we're building on our roadmap is everything will have two levels. There's this fundamental level, which is really your knowledge base. And it's saying, look, I, I may not be able to do the job, but I know enough to be able to be valuable to your team. I can speak the language. I can take direction. And if you're overseeing me, uh, it's almost that a plumber's apprenticeship model, right? When you come in for the first year as a, as a plumber's assistant, you're really there, you know, holding the plumber's tool bag and getting him the wrench he needs and go out to the truck and get the next 
think of plumbing and, and pipes and you start learning what he does on a daily basis and then you move into his role and that's the way we're kind of looking at this is the fundamental level is you know enough to become a part of the team when you get to be a practitioner you now can lead the team and you can do this on your own and and that's really where we have these two layers in this and you know the first one is the cyber resilience concept uh the next one we're doing is about risk management and we've got several others that are planned uh, down the road but the idea is that we are as we're building these we are working with the hiring managers to make sure that these are things that are meeting the skills gap they have because people always talk about the skills gap and employers, you know, I wish more employers were like you, James. I wish they would take a chance on people who don't have a lot of keyboard skills, who have the attitude, but not the skills yet because we could teach the skills. Right. But the problem is most employers don't want to take that risk because people are our number one cost as a business. And so if I hire somebody and, you know, I'm having to pay them 50 or a hundred thousand dollars a year, but it takes me six months or 12 months to get some actual work product out of them because I'm teaching them. Well, that's a lot of money for me to invest. And the problem is most companies don't have loyalty to workers and workers don't have loyalty to a company now. So if I did that and I brought you in at 50,000 and I train you up and give you all these certs and get you all these skills, there's nothing that stops you from leaving me in 12 months and jumping over to somebody else who's going to pay you more because now you are certified. Now you do have a year of experience and all those things. Um, and, and so that's why a lot of employers are afraid of hiring people without the quote certifications or without the quote experience because of those issues that they're just afraid they're going to have to invest themselves and then lose them. The only employer I've ever worked with that really does invest in its people that way is the military because they will take somebody in from the streets that has absolutely no experience whatsoever and just aptitude. They'll put them through a two-year school and get them all their certifications and teach them how to program and teach them to be a pen tester. And then they'll go use them for you know two, three, four years until their contract's up. They'll hope they'll stay in the military long term, but if they don't, they'll usually go and work for a government contractor, which means the military is still getting the benefit of that skill set, uh, even though they're paying this third-party contractor now for that, that skill set. Um, but it, in general, most commercial companies I've looked at and worked with, they don't have an appetite to spend three to six months training somebody. They I want somebody who's going to be useful like within two weeks, and if they're not, they feel like it's a bad hire. I think you just described why we have an HR problem mm -hmm. in our workforce today right is the fact is that most employers one shy away from risk or number two trust a piece of paper more than instinct yes right and and so you're right how often how often does hr really cost you and could hr leave you yes but someone with a degree could also leave you oh yeah right? someone with a cert could also leave you just as fast but um, the difference is you're paying them for already having the experience versus you having to train them on that thing, right? Because well, if I spent three to six months training you and you came in with aptitude but no skill, that three to six months, I didn't get a whole lot of value out of your work product, right? Because you didn't correct. have the ability to do that thing. And so maybe from month six to 12, I'm actually getting benefit. But by that point, you now have a year of experience. And I may be paying you less because I had this big ramp up period of training you. And you can go, well, now I've got a year of experience. I can go over to the Booz Allen Hamilton and they'll pay me 130, but Jason's only paying me 100. I'm out, right? Um, oh. And there's no loyalty on the employee side that, hey, I, I got you here, right? So, um, at least from what I've seen. And there's no, there's really no, um, you know, loyalty from the employer side either because as soon as there's a downturn in the economy, we just saw that with what Facebook and Microsoft, 10,000 people, you're gone. We don't care anymore um, because that's what, but how much of that? Yeah. I mean, you, you bring up a good point, but I think some of that is waste and, and, and we're almost, uh, time and so I, yeah. I, I, that debate would take way more than the five and a half minutes we have left on <laughs> on today's show to, to have this conversation but i will say that i uh, that i generally agree with some of those assumptions i i also disagree with some of those simply because of the following and and i'll say it like this people don't quit jobs because of money they quit jobs because of managers statistics <laughs> every single exit interview in the world proves it that 
I would have stayed if you would have given me less money than the offer I got. But I'm leaving not only because it has more money, but because my man, I, I, I don't stand. I can't stand my boss. My boss is just not a good person or he doesn't understand me. He's not really there for me. And I think, you know, when you talk about certifications or when you talk about the people who you influence to go look for a job, money typically ranks two or three, right? And so, so there is some truth to some people who will leave a company and go get another job somewhere else because it pays them more. And sometimes it does come on the account of you training them and not potentially squeezing the most ROI from them. And that's, yeah. that's relatively true. But then most of the time they come back. Yeah. Um, and the reason they come back is because they go somewhere else who's paying them more. They get a whiff of the culture and six months later, they call you up and go, I'd really love to come back. Do you have anything open and available for me? That's been kind of like my other side of the coin to that kind of stuff. Cause I've had that happen. And I've had people leave and go somewhere else because they're getting, you know, 20 grand more a year and I couldn't match it. Right. I can give you maybe five or I didn't have the budget and I'm just like, I have to let you go and I'm sorry and good luck. And six, nine months later, a year later, you see their name in, 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 in the, in the ATS pile again, again. (laughs) because they're looking for work. Right. And so, and, and they realized that that they had it good. And I think, you know, that kind of goes to that, but, but I think that's, that's really important. Right. I mean, it's really important for hiring managers. And I think for, for everyone to understand that, you know what, it, it's not just what your people come with. It's, it's what you give your people. Yep. And, and so there's a human aspect to us working and you're right. The military does the human aspect better than almost anyone else. You know, give me, give me your week. You know, that's, that's literally yep. what's on our statue of Liberty. And that's literally what our military kind of, you know, having been in the service, you know, we, we take the people who, you know, you wouldn't think would 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 get too much and those people become something really really big and important and, and a lot of times they're our unsung heroes um um in 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 the fight and then sometimes you know the people who, who who you make the most out of you know that's literally our political system yep. if you took everyone out of the military and, and and put them in congress like a tulsi gabbard or or <laughs> so many other like anna paulina and, and and so many others you see people who really value the the country and are not so much into the p- political side but more into what's the best interest of others because that's what they were trained to do and then you've got the lifelong politicians who you know don't have that and you don't need to comment on that that's just my yeah. personal opinion yeah the, the one thing I, I do want to comment on before we close out because i know we're right up at the uh, time is you mentioned you know the paper right trusting the paper versus trusting the person um and i agree with you right the paper is not going to get you a job right and i tell students this all the time they go oh i got my security plus what job can I, you know, what job is somebody going to give me now? I'm like, no one's going to give you a job because of a certification you've gotten. The certification gets you an interview, hopefully, right? Because as I talked about, there's a thousand people applying for this job. And if they say security plus recommended or required, you better have security plus, or you're not going to make it into the shortlist for them to even look at yours with a physical human. And so it's one of those things people go, well, I've gotten five certs and nobody's called me. I'm like, well, then the rest of your resume isn't working either. And we got to figure out what that is because your cert is honestly, it's just a keyword to get you past that one filter, but it's not going to get you a job. It may get you an interview and that's what we're hoping. And that's where you're going to be able to showcase your knowledge, your experience. And then hopefully they will then uh, want to hire you and bring you on. But just because you have a paper doesn't mean anything because honestly, you and I both know, James, there's people on Facebook overseas that will take the exam for you, which is cheating. Don't do this, but you can pay somebody to go take the exam as you 
and you'll get certified even though you've never sat for the exam. And that's cheating. If you get caught, you'll get your search revoked and all that kind of stuff. But it does happen every day. And so you have to be aware of this, that you know the paper is useful in what it's useful for, which is a filtering mechanism. If you don't have it, you're going to get filtered. If you have it, you'll bypass that one filter. But there's three or four other filters before it ever gets to the human person to look at your resume. And that's really where a lot of people misconstrue this and think, if I get a cert, I'm going to get a job. Yes and no. Uh, it'll help you get a job, but it's not going to guarantee you a job. Jason, how do people sign up for the accolade certs? Where do they go? How does this stay in touch with you? How do they get more more of your knowledge, brother? Yeah, definitely. Uh, if you want to check out Accolade itself, it is A-K-Y-L-A-D-E.com. Uh, we're on all the social media platforms at Accolade Certified is our handle across you know LinkedIn and Facebook and all that good stuff. Um, and you can go there to check out information about our certifications that we're currently offering. The two that are out right now, uh, they're in uh, beta and coming out into production in the next couple of weeks, is the Accolade Certified Cyber Resilience Fundamentals, which is our ACCRF, and our Accolade Certified Cyber Resilience Practitioner. And both of those are focused on the use and implementation of the NIST Cybersecurity Framework, which is an open source framework. And we have a specific uh, proprietary method that we've taught people how to use this framework in an effective way. And that's been beta tested for the last five to 10 years with companies out in industry who've been using that and having great success with that, that process. So we've taken all the, those best practices, codified them into the certification. That's what we're teaching you how to do. Um, so that's the best way to get a hold of us there. And then if you want to talk more with me personally, um, I do have a podcast. It's at yourcyberpath.com, Y-O-U-R, cyberpath.com. Uh, James is actually a guest on our show a couple of weeks ago as well. And we've got about 100 episodes in the can at this point. So lots of great information there. It's all about hiring, firing, ATS, what certifications are valuable, certifications versus degrees versus experience, and all that other stuff. We really focus on your side path on the job hunting part of this. Uh, and me and my co-host are both previous cybersecurity hiring managers, uh, previous CIOs, previous CISOs, and we give you all the you know the background dirty insight about why you're not getting hired and how to overcome that. So that's another great thing for your audience to check out. So go check out, yeah, and the podcast was so much fun. You and Kip were a blast. Um, so go check it out. We and it, it, it's it's magnificent. Follow Jason, um, and I'll put everything he talked about in the show notes. So everyone watching, just look below in the show notes. You'll see everything he's talking about there, as well uh, the website um, and some of the handles, and then the link to the podcast as well. So that's it for our show today, Jason. Thanks so much for coming on this Friday, man. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me, James. All right, y'all. That's it for our show. We'll be back on Monday, 9 a.m. Eastern live with the latest cybersecurity uh, news that y'all need to know about and how to mitigate those risks. Till then, have a great rest of your day. And most importantly, y'all have a great weekend and stay cyber safe. We love feedback. So make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. 